Pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry, and we're back on the topic of parenting. And this time we're going to address some things that parents should stop doing. But before we do it, we want to answer some questions posed to us by a first time parent. And these are, there's several of them, but they all kind of circle around the same idea of what's going to change now once we have this little one uh, for both the the man and the woman, um, their household, their activities, things like that. So uh, you want us, I'll ask the first question and then we'll just kind of handle it. How's that? Sounds good. All right. So what is the most common sac or what are the most common sacrifices parents have to do to be a godly family? Uh, Can you give some examples with like work, church, extended family? Yeah. I guess I'd say, just to start with, it's the same answer that you would give to someone who wants to be a Christian, is you got to count the cost in some way. Oh, that's a good and, way to do it. Um, you know, so a lot of these are going to just be, well, we've, like we talked a little bit off, off mic, you know, it's going to be in areas of time, money, vacations, you know, these kinds of things that distract from what ought to be priority. Um, so like, one of the things that we just keep eating over and over again in these episodes is making Sundays in church in the fellowship of believers non-negotiable. Um, so not doing vacations, sports necessarily, if you know those things are going to detract from that regular meeting of the body on Sundays. Um, well, yeah, yeah. So like sports, if the husband, let's say he belongs to a softball team and he's just always gone because he's committed to the softball team and he's leaving his wife to take care of everything. There's probably some broken thinking going on there, right? Yeah. Um, You're not going to be able to travel maybe as much because it just breaks down the things you're trying to teach your child and, and you're trying to, you know, it might be that everything's fine, but if you're seeing your child is having some real problems and you're focusing on that, that's not the time to then uproot them from a schedule where you're working on him or her. But it's like, no, we're, we're just not going to go away right now. We're going to kind of retreat into the home a bit. Um, everything is just going to be centered around. Yeah. Is it having a negative impact on the, 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 the us growing as parents and our children? Um, and so you're, it, it's a hard one to give a very hardcore, hard and fast answer to, but yeah. um, I mean, church is a non-negotiable in my mind, um, work. But like, let's say you have work um, and your husband is now decided you just had a baby and he's going to start taking on a bunch of overtime. Um, if he has to have the overtime, he has to. He has to provide for his home and he needs his job. But if he's choosing overtime and that way he's not home much. Yeah. Well, and some of that plays into the fact of maybe you were a dual earner, right? And now it's your conviction that the wife and the mom stays home. Which we would say is a preference. Yeah. Uh, Well, you're not going to have as much income anymore. So are you taking overtime to try and make up for that out of fear that the Lord's not going to provide for you? Um, Though you've made it a good, right, we would say biblical decision in choosing to have the mother stay home. Why would the Lord not provide for you? But if your decision-making is, well, I want to try and make up for that or create as much of a cushion as possible, but it's really being driven by fear that... Yeah, not faith, fear. um, That, yeah, that I'm not going to be, you know, have as much money to provide or whatever. uh, I would say that's not probably the wisest decision or motive. And when you have extended family, again, you're going to be making decisions on... You know, does this time with the family help or detract from our household? If you're always with family who are undercutting what you're trying to do in your home, then you're going to need to limit how much time you spend with them or where they maybe they have to come to you rather than you go to them where it's in their home and their place and they're setting the kind of the standards. Um, 
it, they're going to have to play that by the ear, I guess is the yeah. simplest way. Um, you know, just don't do it, like you said, though, out of fear and, and don't make radical decisions. I mean, at first, you're just going to be sleepy. <laughs> because, I mean, the first, if you, if you follow what we'll give you um, later on on how to teach a child to sleep through the night in about eight weeks, yeah. um, then the first eight weeks are just hard, and you're probably going to retreat into the home primarily. Um, and, the, and the woman, especially as a mother, she's going to have to give up certain things. But um, I know like with Kim, uh, my wife, uh, she still had certain things that she did, uh, works of ministry and stuff. But what we really encouraged with Kim was try to make as much of her ministry be focused from her home invite people into your home where you can still continue doing the things that you would do with your children and you invite them to be participants in it. They can observe it, watch it, uh, things like that, rather than you're constantly taking the kids out of the home and uh, going somewhere else because you want to have them have as much social interaction activities as possible, but you never have time then to just train the child. Yep. Um, would that be fair, you think? Yeah, I think so. What's the next one? Uh, they ask, what is the primary responsibility of a couple? Is it their spouse or their children, or it, does it depend on the stage that well, you are in? We answered that one already. The first and foremost relationship is a husband and wife. You you guard that jealously. But, but you've expanded your family with the child. So, uh, again, when the child is sick, a lot of attention is going to be on taking care of that child, right? Yeah. Uh, when when there's a lot of discipline or something, mom and dad are focused on that. But never, uh, you can't replace one relationship with the other. The child needs to see a godly, healthy marriage. Um, and again, at the stage is, uh, of life is going to change too. I mean, as they get older, you're actually going to find out that when they hit driving age and they got their first job, you're you're going to wish they were home more because you're going to find out that they uh, they just simply aren't home as much. They, they've got other friends and, and that's all fine. There's nothing bad about that, but you have to be ready for that. So, yeah. yeah. And I would say in some sense, it's a false dichotomy. The question, I don't, it's presented as an either or. Uh, good point. Um, I just, I would say it's not that clean. It's just yes to both of those. I remember in seminary, you know, I'm sure you had to take some of these. Maybe you didn't, I don't know, but you had those like spiritual formation classes and stuff like that. And they just beat into you. There's priority, right? So it's, they always say first is God. Second is your wife. Third is children. And then fourth and finally, it's your ministry. And I always sort of reacted to that that tiered system. It's like, I don't think it's that clean because actually your wife is to come alongside you in your vocation. Yeah. And if you're a minister, it's to your church. Um, you have your children in your home, but you're not, it's not a priority or prioritization type of thing. Yeah. It's, you can't checklist this. Right. It's just more organic than that. And sometimes there's going to be seasons of life where you got to give more to this or more to that, depending on the issues going on. Well, and and to be perfectly blunt, how you treat your wife is a relationship between you and God, right? Yeah. A husband who is unkind to his wife is not in a state of worship and obedience to the Lord. So everything impacts everything else. And so you're right. You can't have a checklist and say, okay, I did my devotion, so I'm done with God. <laughs> Now, what do I got to do with my husband? Now, okay. I love my wife from one to two. Yeah, and then, okay, now it's children. Uh, okay, now it's work. Um, Kim and I actually had long talks about that because um, it's like, honey, I have to work or I can't provide for the children. I can't provide for you, and we can't be generous. I mean, which is something God commands us to do. I worship God in faithful employment uh, and vice versa. So, again, it's not an either-or it's much more organic, like you just said, um, yeah. and and it and that's part of the adventure. It's a new. It stretches you because you're used to kind of functioning with just you and your husband. Now you have. It's a little more complex now. Now you have a little one, and I remember the first time we were done with diapers, and we we just I got that dumb smile. I went to the store, and the way our budget was so tight that we always bought 
baby diapers and stuff like that first. And then whatever was left over, we, we used to feed ourselves. And one day <laughs> they were all potty trained and I could walk by the diaper aisle. And I got this stupid grin on my face. And I'm like, yes, we're eating good tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I mean, it, it, now it's a new thing. And then there's, it's really neat when you're finally done with children and you're able to say to all your kids, go get in the car. And there's not, you don't have to take half the household with you to put in the trunk. Um, and so it, it gives you new freedoms and new ways to then minister and live out. But um, you just have to be flexible on all of those things. Um, and again, if you create a checklist, um, it will look good, but you'll find yourself greatly frustrated very, very quickly because kids are infamous for destroying checklists. Yeah. Yep. Uh, another question. For someone actively involved in church, what is the priority of a husband? Is it the church, that is fellowship, meetings, ministries, or is it his family first, taking care of his wife's needs, looking to the kid's benefit, level of energy, et cetera, above the service of the church? That's a neither, either, or. it's not, again, same, that's same an either or. Did, yeah. So, you know, your, your life should be centered around that church. Uh, if it's not, if any family is not built around the church, there's already something basically broken. If you've, if you think going to church is somehow maintaining spiritual disciplines, you're sadly uh, uh, mistaken. So um, that husband should still be trying to disciple and somebody else, if unless he's a brand new believer, he should be making a disciple. But that his first and foremost disciples is his wife and his children, right? But he can also, as he ha finds time, he should be opening it up to maybe a young man in a church. Same thing with a woman. Uh, her her first responsibility is is training up her children. But that doesn't mean that she can't invite another mother over, um, especially a neighbor who doesn't know Christ, and and let that woman enter into her home and see a home that loves Christ. So, um, and that's church. So I think what she hopefully means is uh, sp the spiritual development. It, it's still the highest priority, but there are responsibilities. Uh, a young a first time father may have to reduce his activities that he's doing at the church. He may not be able to do all the things he used to do because right. He's got a little one now that he's got to help out too and and work with. So, uh, and 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 everybody has a different level of ability. There, some guys can really manage time super well, and others it's it's more difficult for them. And so, or they have a child that's sickly, or the child is. I mean, I, we've even done this with elders at times where the kid is that their their kids are just kind of pushing the envelope right now. And it's like just pull back. Don't worry about your elder responsibilities. You know, I'll take those on so that you can just work on the family. We don't want you to right. think, well, I got to go to this and this and this, and and you're watching your son struggle. No, no, no. Go go work with your son. Be with them. Um, don't have them begin to resent the church. So yeah. it, it, it's each person is going to have to examine that um, on their own. It's not a clean black or white. Let me ask the next one. Um what it what does it look like for a husband to help in the house raising the kids? Can the wife demand well <laughs> uh, demand a husband to help her in raising them, cleaning, cooking, or all of this does it fall under the category of the wife's role? Yeah, so I would say first of all, no, a wife can't demand. Yeah. Um, if if the husband seems to be absent on these things, though, I think it would be good and fine for her to appeal to him. Absolutely. And, and say, hey, <laughs> I need would help. you mind? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so approaching it that way, I think you'll have um, much more receptive ears. Um, but really, some of these things fall under what does the husband want for his house? Um, does he have an expectation that you as the wife will take care of these things as he's out working and serving and those kinds of things? Well, in that case, then just do what your husband is asking you to do. Um, I mean, if if the wife is still working... That's different than if a wife's not working outside right. of the home, right? I mean, I don't think a husband should ever have to apologize for saying, "Sweetheart, I'm I'm gone eight to ten hours every single day." You know, during that time, yeah, you, you, there are expectations to maintain this household, um, and she can't say, "Well, no, you got to do some of this." And here, I've written up a chart, <laughs> and guess what? You get the dirty uh, clothes or whatever same time a husband who loves his wife comes home and 
you know, I we talked about where I would come home and I see the wild-eyed look of my wife, mm-hmm. and I realize it's been a bad day. Well, that's not the time to sit down, flick on the TV, and say, "Where's my dinner?" It's you know, come alongside and say, "What can I do to help you out?" Yeah, um, right. I mean, yeah, but I, that gets back to being a godly husband. Absolutely. I would say also just at a practical level, one of the things that can help your own heart with this, or maybe help your own heart with this as a wife is not to compare what your husband has asked of you or not asked of you or what he's doing or not doing um, with respect to somebody else's home. Yeah. Um, it's actually one of the things that I, I'm not a huge fan of like women's studies, for example, not because they're inherently evil, but because when these kinds of things are going on, wives start talking about what their home looks like and without meaning to, your wife, your wife can walk away thinking, oh, that is the standard then, or why doesn't my husband do that, or this and that. And it's like, well, maybe that's because it's not what your husband wants. And so to try and make your home look like somebody else's is a disservice to him, and it's actually disrespectful to him. And so try and not compare your home or what your husband has asked of you to another person's home and what their husband has asked of them. And, and if you're frustrated with the things you have to do, um, like I'll get marriage counseling and a wife will say, um, well, do you make your wife do that? And I always say, first of all, what I ask my wife to do is what I ask her to do. And I'm not accountable to you for that. And what your husband is asking you to do is not wrong. And therefore, he's not accountable to me on that. And so then I try to shift it back to what is the inherent wrongfulness or sinfulness of what he's asking you to do. And and if it's like, well, I'm not good at that, it's like, okay, does that mean then it's his job to come alongside and take that off of you? Or is it a weakness then that has been shown? And so maybe you need to develop skills. So maybe you're not good at keeping your home. Okay, well, then find a lady in the church who does a better job and ask her to help you. Teach her, you know, what do you do? How do you organize your day and take the things that are useful and 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 develop your skill level so that someday you're the old woman that young women are coming to and seeking counsel because you've learned to master the art of keeping a home, which is something households are not being, our children are not being raised anymore. I mean, how many kids are being taught how to plan a meal and shop wisely and cook and stuff? You know, it's all takeout and... Uh, so, again, when you when you start looking at all of this, you have to be careful that you don't uh, have expectations. Like somehow I'm being unfairly treated because my husband wants me to do that, this or that. So, uh, discontentment is one of the simplest sins housewives can fall into. And instead of seeing that their mission field and their ministry, the way they worship God is in keeping a clean home. Yep. The way they worship God is by uh, having the child uh, well-fed and uh, and taught and ex- things like that. Right, exactly. What's right, the next um, one? She asks, is it preferable for the husband to exercise the physical discipline or both? We actually answered that one in a previous episode. Uh, just quickly, we said it, usually it's always the preference that if the husband is there and present that he should be taking care of that. Um, so let me ask you this last one. Is raising the kids according to the scriptures, um, is is that to make sure that they are guided and fully equipped to be able to understand the gospel and observe the commands as primary task? And what priority secular education will play in this role? Well, we would say secular education should pay a, play a very minimal role, right? I mean, especially today, um, it's an overtly anti-God, atheistic, amoral system and and from kindergarten on that's what your child is literally being inundated with so and it's not even they're not even trying to pretend anymore so no you should if at all possible prevent yourself from submitting your child to that kind of environment but yes um raising your kids according to scripture is 
trying to, you can't save their soul, but the question should be in your mind is, am I creating a rich environment where the gospel is permeating everything that we're doing? Do we show grace? Do we show mercy? Do we show standards of obedience? Do we discipline? Do we train to obey? Uh, do they learn to respect and honor? That's the command the Lord gives is honor your parents and obey your parents. So uh, do, uh, am I training my children up in that? And am I doing it in a vacuum or am I doing it with the view that, that that's because we are Christian parents and that's what our God demands from us as parents. And so we're going to do it. But then as they get older, you're also helping them to frame decision-making from a biblical right. framework. But that's going to be later on. I, what The wisdom and The very first yeah. thing we did with our children to begin to break from being a a child-centered home was we taught them to sleep through the night. That was the first thing we learned, or they learned. And they didn't know it. They're they're an infant. But but we're teaching them that just because they cry, mom doesn't pick you up. Just because you are unhappy doesn't mean that we then do whatever we have to do to placate them. In fact, we even went so far as, um, oh, man, all of my kids had it, but one of them specifically really thought it was a funny thing play when they would be sitting in the high chair and they'd have uh, like their sippy cup and they'd accidentally drop it. And so I'd just pick it over and put it back on. They'd smile at me and knock it over again. I would just leave it on the floor. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> and that they'd look and then they'd fuss. And I'm like, no fuss. Um, and they would, if they continued, that they, they might get angry. Now they're going to get disciplined, and people say, "Well, that's unkind." No, it's not. They're not going to die. My ch- children were—they could live a month off their thighs alone. Um, right. But but we're not caging them. What we're trying to teach them is: look, there's a time to play and there's a time to eat, and. I'm going to teach you that, and you're a little one, and you can learn it. And what we quickly discovered, the quick children quickly learned is self-control in a very tiny, simple way. But a parent's job is not to be constantly picking up and giving them back something, or they'll throw a fit. Yeah. Um, so, Yeah, so, I mean, they ask, is your job to equip them with the gospel and then to observe the commands? The answer would just be yes, because parenting in the first place is discipleship. And yeah, that's simply and, what discipleship is, giving them the gospel and then teaching them to now observe all that Christ has commanded. Right. And so that observing the command, so that's where it gets fun because you realize that's not, you should not lie, you should not steal. It's a lot more subtle. There's a lot of different ways you can steal. There's a lot of ways you can lie. And so that's a fun part of parenting and helping the child to learn that it's not a pharisaical approach to obedience, but it's a heart obedience that there's something wrong with this. It's intrinsically wrong. I'm, I'm dishonoring my mother or my father or or a, or my teacher, whatever it might be. So I hope that helps. Yeah. But uh, a lot of these are being answered as we go through anyhow. So, well, with that, let's get into the things then to stop. Now, we focused so far on the last couple of parenting episodes on things that you should do as a parent. Uh, it is interesting, though, to note how many times we find that when we talk to parents, usually in the formal or informal time of counseling, that they're really not sure why they do the things they do or they ought to be doing. They, they've never really thought through why they don't let their child do X or they allow X. Um, they know they ought to love their kids. They know they want their kids to do well in life, and they want them to know Christ but then when we ask them why they choose such and such, uh, the response becomes very vague. And the reason is they simply are not sure why they're doing or whether what they're doing is right or wise. Or they have some reason behind their choices, but then can't really explain the connection between that choice and the reason. Uh, so here's an example. They have their children in public education, something we just talked about. Why? Well, they say, well, we want our children to be witnesses and missional. But when we ask them how putting their children in public education actually results in these things, uh, it gets a bit muddled in their answers. They're not quite sure how to answer that. Um, Especially if their children are not yet believers. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, We find that often the decisions are made are ones that have good intentions, but fail in actual execution. Uh, So they want a well-rounded child, so they enroll them in all sorts of activities, but the result is a very busy, active home 
but not one that's stable, calm, or focused, and certainly not godly. Um, the parents are always taking the child here or there, uh, but there's almost no time to actually engage the heart of the child. They can't, they're so busy going from one activity to another that there's never a time where they're just sitting with the children in the quietness of a home, engaging their children on something that actually matters. So in today's society, we find that parents lack certain basic convictions that drive everything they do. So they want their children safe or happy and to have fun. But we would ask, are those even the goals of biblical parents? And so we gave you several things you should do, and we hope it serves as the beginning of some fresh thinking on your part. But what we want to do is move beyond that. Yeah, so today we're going to talk about some of the do-nots, uh, as we'll say, it, of parenting, important things you should stop doing, even though there might be great pressure to do them. And so we hope that in lists, listing these and discussing them, that it will help you get some parameters in place to make parenting a bit more clear for you and also your children. So what is interesting is that there are really only two major things to avoid. So I mean, biblically, the, right. in the New Testament, it says overtly yeah, about overt kids. Overt commands, right? Yeah. So first of all, Ephesians 6.4, um, do not provoke your child to anger. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So the word we translate here, uh, provoke to anger, means actually to goad or to push your child into a state of resentment or jealousy. And it's important to understand that the Bible is not saying that you're wrong when you establish a proper or fair standard in your home and then your child responds to it in an angry manner. That's that's really key. <laughs> Just because yeah. they're angry doesn't mean you did something wrong. Right. Um, in fact, that we can almost guarantee that will happen <laughs> as you begin to make changes in your parenting decisions and standards. And so we would say expect it, especially if your children are a little bit older and they're used to being trained or interacted with in a certain way, and all of a sudden now you're making this shift and they're like, what's going on? Um, they can create guilt in you because now they're getting angry and what's this all about? And Yeah. Yeah, you, you actually start to second guess yourself because in trying to do what's right, all of a sudden your household's less happy. And so you must be doing something wrong when in fact you're actually doing something right because they're angry because they're not getting their way anymore. Yeah. Uh, it's also not justifying the anger then of the child. Um, merely stating that the child's anger is a direct result of unbiblical parenting. So just because your child gets sullen or pouts because she's now expected to keep her room clean um, and that there are clear, consistent consequences attached to not doing that, um, that's not a reason to abandon the decision, as we've been saying. That would be folly on, on your part. Um, but the parent who pushes his child to anger is a parent who is not concerned about developing that child's heart. Um, this can happen um, because you're showing favoritism in the home, for example, or because you have hypocrisy in how you demand something of your child that you do not have mastery over yourself. So they see in you the very thing that they're telling you that you can't do. Yeah. Um, the heart of the child is, is the focus of a wise parent, and they're always thinking from that perspective. So the, let's give another aspect to this, is that when the Bible speaks of God being provoked to anger, it's due to ungodly behavior from others. Now, if that's part of the intent behind Ephesians 6, then what Paul is warning against is being an unrighteous father or mother who is consistently offending the senses of a child. And don't mistake this. Kids are not dumb. Um, anger puts up walls that hinder the training of the child. So what are some ways that we can do it? Well, we're just going to list a few, but it'll get the point across. Uh, if you're an impatient parent, uh, so you don't listen. So Proverbs eighteen thirteen: he who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. So a, a, a child's trying to explain something. Shut up. I don't want to listen. Uh, it's like, well, yeah. Don't don't be shocked if you start to develop an angry child. You won't even give them a chance to uh, give an answer. Or you think, or you think they did something that looks similar to something they did before that was wrong, and so you presume therefore this time yeah. he did it again. Well, why don't you give a fair hearing first before yeah. you just jump to that conclusion? And and again, if if your football game is more important, well then. 
that's, that's communicated. So the same, another way is not showing tolerance. So uh, Ephesians 4, 1 and 2, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, employ you to implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, uh, which is power that's under control, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. I mean, you're a sinner, they're a sinner, Things don't always go well. You don't always feel well. They don't always feel well. Sometimes you wake up and you didn't sleep good. That doesn't mean that you don't, you're always giving excuses. That's going too far. But at the same time, there should be that tolerance toward each other. It's like, hey, your, 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 your brother just got a tetanus shot. You know, and and and, but you know, at least with our kids, when they would get their shots, they felt cruddy for a day. They they uh, they ran fevers and everything else, and they just they they broke down and cried when they were little. After any time they went to a doctor and got their shots or something, you there's a lot of mercy that comes into place. Like this is a tough day for the kid, and and he is just a little four year old. So let's cut him some slack here. Um, that goes so far in helping prevent that anger. Uh, another thing you can do is uh, being legalistic. So one form of this is seeing that the child's relationship with you is purely based upon his keeping of the rules, which is nothing more than works righteousness. It also is accomplished by placing personal standards and rules at the same level as biblical commands and standards. Uh, you have to allow for mistakes, in other words. Uh, should, you should also see that uh, not every mistake is sin. It, it, sometimes you just make a mistake because you're fallible. And, and the child, if, if you make mistakes— how much more is your eight-year-old going to? They, they've only been trotting around this world for eight years. You got forty years or whatever you are, and you're still messing up. Um, in fact, I oftentimes will do that in parenting uh, counseling when parents come in and they're frustrated with their kids, and and well, he he still does this and that. I'll actually pick something that the father or the mother has shared that they're quote unquote struggling with. Still, I'm like, how good are you at submitting to your husband? Well, I'm not very good. And yet, you want your husband to show you grace and tolerance. And you're you're 30, and your child is five, and you're not willing to extend a certain level of grace and tolerance to them. It's like people are going to make mistakes, and people are sinners. They're going to do that. The, The worst way, though, is to burden the child with an endless list of rules and regulations. So, um, Matthew 23, 4, they, the, speaking of the Pharisees, they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. That's, that's a brutal statement about um, Pharisees, but also many a parent. Yeah. Uh, another way to provoke your child to anger is to be hypocritical. Um, and this is that idea of you know going back in your word or even being crafty in how you promise them something. Um, so Matthew five thirty seven tells us to simply say what we mean and then follow through with it. it says, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Um, anything beyond these is of evil. Uh, Proverbs six twelve through thirteen condemns as wicked the one who says one thing but actually means another. Uh, it says a worthless person, a wicked man is the one who walks with a perverse mouth, who winks with his eyes, who signals with his feet, and who points with his fingers. Uh, Colossians 3.9, you got, you got something to say on that one? No. Oh, okay. Um, 3.9 tells us not to lie to one another. Uh, do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. And that one's interesting because it connects lying with being in a fallen or unbelieving state, that old self, in yeah. other words. Um, since we're now alive in Christ, this ought not to be in our character or life. And it is a simple way to teach your child unbelief because when when you lie um, or you're even cunning uh, in certain ways, um, you're acting like an unbeliever and therefore teaching your children and modeling for them what it means to be an unbeliever. Um, and so most definitely you will help create an angry heart in them. Yeah, when you have a child that doesn't trust their parents, you've got an angry child because you've taught them. Yeah, I doubt it. I, you know, whatever mom and dad say. Um, there is times I might add though that you have to say, "I told you that we'd go to the park." Um, 
I didn't know that my boss was going to make me work on Saturday. I'm sorry, buddy. Um, I can't. But but as soon as I got the time, you and I are going to go there. I, and and so you're letting them know that it was not your intention. Things are beyond your control. And if he gets angry, that's now a chance to teach him. Look, I also have to submit to my boss. And and you like eating, right? <laughs> well, you eat because I go to work and stuff like that. But it's we're talking about that idea that you are. You make empty promises, and and that's your norm. And when you teach that, a child will become very angry. Yeah, especially when the promise is given to quiet them for the moment. Yeah. But you know in your heart, I don't have any intention to follow through on this. I just want them to leave me alone right now. Yeah, that's a brutal one. Um, Another one is having one standard for your children and another for yourself, sort of like the hypocrisy. So Matthew 7, 1 through 5 tells us that before we point out the other's fault, we need to first look to ourselves and deal with our problems first. And so um, you know the passage, don't judge uh, or uh, so that you won't be judged. And the way you judge, you will be judged. Um, So we're busy telling the guy, take that speck out, but we have a big log. Um, how many times parents will do that? They'll they'll have a standard um, that they they themselves just simply won't keep or have in their own life. Your child should hear a standard that you're already exhibiting. It shouldn't be this. Where did this come from? They should be seeing that kind of a standard from you. Um, so you require your child to go patch up a relationship with another person, but you refuse to do so for yourself. Well, that's that's evil. Uh, you won't let them watch movies of some type, but you watch them. You use language, but you don't let them use that same language. You let them. Uh, you say you can't eat this kind of food, but you then go out and eat that food. All of those are just living a, a two-faced type of life, and and it's okay when they're they can you can get by with it when they're three. But they're not stupid at 14, and, and right? They know exactly what the, the game is. And again, you've just you've taught your children, don't look to my parents for counsel or example or anything else. I don't have it. You've actually taught them to have no respect for you. And then you're all offended because they don't respect me. It's like, man, I don't respect you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Another one is pride, and that is that, uh, it's a very broad category that almost everything, can, yeah. frankly, can just fall into it. So one one area that can be very serious is refusing to confess sin that you've done, and especially those sins against your child. Yeah. So Proverbs twenty eight thirteen: He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. James four six: But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Um, James five sixteen. therefore confess your sins to one another, pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. You know, I say it a lot from the pulpit um, where I just ask the parents, when was the last time you sought your child's forgiveness? And I get the carefully modeled faces where they're looking at me and, you know, but it's like, are you? Are you? And when I when I uh, disciple younger people, I ask I'll ask them. You know, can you remember when your parents last sought your forgiveness? And it's it is heartbreaking when you hear them. They're like, no. And it's like, <sighs> yeah, yeah. And I sometimes mean, it's so discouraging. It is. And sometimes as par- as a parent, you're not even meaning to do that. It's just you've always functioned as that authority. Yeah, I'm the parent and standard setting and discipline and all those things that. You know, you, you got to train yourself to now confess as well, um, because you're teaching so much in that confession. Well, and and parents, it's so simple in this way. If you can get it through your head, is you are the um, the primary example of what it looks like to follow Christ and live as a Christian. And so, in part of the Christian life is confessing. I mean, confessing your sin and knowing that you're a sinner. And, and rejoicing in the fact that you have forgiveness in Christ and that you can go and confess your sin. And also that, that idea of maintaining godly relationships with one another so that you don't allow bitterness and stuff to rise up. Um, it's, it's so important that you do that. It's not even wrong for you to say, um, you know what? Hey, guys, I need to 
talk to somebody after church. I mean, like maybe, uh, um, like there was one time I didn't take communion and I had to get up and preach. And I leaned over and I sought my wife's forgiveness. I had just been a jerk that day. That might shock you, but I was just a royal jerk and I let it pass. But I did lean over to my wife and I, 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 but I was going to lead uh, communion and I was going to make that admonition that if you have sinned against another, you know, let this pass. And so I leaned over and I said, I need to talk to you after church. And I said, but please forgive me. I got up. I did it, and I did not take it myself. Well, standing up in front of the whole church and leading it, everyone knew I didn't take it. And But afterwards, I I didn't just deal with my wife, but I actually pulled my kids aside and said, look, you're, you saw your dad, and he didn't take communion. Here's why. I, I mean, I actually made that point where I spent time with them, and they're all kind of – it's a very awkward conversation. But it was a great awkwardness because I, I said, your dad sinned against your mom, and you guys heard it. You saw what I was acting like before church, and there's no excuse for that. And so I even sinned against you guys, so I need you to forgive me as well. I looked at each child, and I told them, will you forgive me? And, of course, children are – perfect at forgiving. And they, they're like, yeah, of course, yeah. And but but those types of things leave long term marks for good yeah. in your in your children. Yeah, and it is it is a good practice and it's hard to do at first, but I would say if if you don't confess your sin to your children, I, I don't say this is true always, but chances are you're probably not one who confesses to your spouse either. And so I would say a way you can start is by just starting there. Yeah. You know, especially if you're the your father, the husband, you know, create a culture of confession in your home so that now your wife knows it's safe to confess to you. And then when you confess to your children, then they know it's safe and good and right to confess to you as well. And so, but that has to start with you. You're yep. leading that. But yep. If you're always yeah. just that standard for which no sin ever comes, you know, why would your children learn to confess their sin? Yep. Because they're not even seeing that model. Yeah. Um, okay, another one would be anger. Uh, Proverbs 29, 22 teaches that expressing anger will result in strife. So it says an angry man stirs up strife and a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. Proverbs 30, 33, for the churning of milk produces butter. <laughs> I like that one. And yes. pressing the nose brings forth blood. So the churning of anger produces strife. I mean, it's so simple though. How many homes are, they're just trying to keep dad from blowing up. Yeah. What a horrible home to live Everyone's in. Everyone's walking on eggshells. Yeah. Or, or the mom from exploding. Just do what your mom says. Do what your mom says. And everyone's like, ah, uh, um, yeah. You, a, a house of anger is, is a horrible household to live in. And I feel for the kids that are in a home like that. Um, Another way you can do it is a sarcasm, um, and this is really common within homes. Uh, there's a fine line between teasing and cutting sarcasm, and it's easy to move from one to another. So we're not saying you're not allowed to tease each other. In fact, in the home, that's one of the places where you, it's kind of safe because it's yeah. still, you're, you're, you're my sister, I love you, or whatever, and so you can tease one another somewhat relentlessly. <laughs> and and if you do it the right way, it's okay, um, it, but that line is not always easy to uh, see. So again, the Ephesians 4.29 says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that we'll give grace to those who hear. So uh, there's a broadness of the command. And yes, it's a command. It's not a suggestion. Um, let no unwholesome word. By uh, The idea is that you speak so as to build up rather than tearing down. That's what he wants you to be doing. Uh, by implication, then, the unwholesome word does not give grace to those who hear. Um, Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. A harsh one stirs up the anger. Or Proverbs 25.23, that promises that a backbiting tongue will bring out anger in the other person. So it says, the north wind brings forth rain, and a backbiting tongue, an angry countenance. It's like, why is my kid angry? Well, <laughs> You're always snarking. Well, why can't you be like your sister? Why can't you be that? It's just like, how are you helping? Um, 
Yeah, I've I got some things I'm tempted to say, but probably unwise, so I'll, I'll go on. Uh, Colossians 3, 8, uh, now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. These are not to be mar- uh, the marks of a Christian home. Yeah. Uh, They'll exist, right? Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But you confess them, and you repent, and you reject them, and you fight against them, and and you let your children see it. And boy, that really helps a child not uh, be moved toward anger, which is the central command we're saying is don't provoke your child to anger, right? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, Another one is favoritism. Uh, Actually, the story of Joseph here is a fitting illustration of this one. Um, So you all know it, Genesis 37. the Bible tells us that Jacob loved Joseph more than the other children. <laughs> and the result of that obviously was hatred um, in the brothers toward yeah. Joseph. Um, Proverbs, and that's an interesting one because they're still wanting their father's attention and approval. And, you know, so the anger now is directed toward the brother. Uh, Proverbs 24, 23 uh, says these also are sayings of the wise to show partiality in judgment is not good. Yeah, you can't you can't take the side of your favorite daughter um, just because she's your favorite daughter. Um, boy, you'll lose every other child, and yeah. you'll lose your favorite daughter in the process. Yeah. Um, so what can happen if you choose to ignore that, that command? Um, what is the fruit that you're going to likely see in their lives? Well, Proverbs 19, 19, it's going to be rebellion. Um, a man of great anger will bear the penalty for if you rescue him, you will only have to do it again. Um, another one will be hatred. Genesis 37, of course, this one with Joseph. Now Israel, meaning Jacob loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a very colored. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's actually a long sleeve tunic, but that's Um, the way it gets translated. Whatever. Yeah. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Uh, Proverbs 25, 28, will also be a lack of self-control in, in the children. So like a city that is broken into without walls as a man who has no control over his spirit. Yeah, you've just produced in that, this, you, you destroyed a man's spirit, and he doesn't know how to control it. And so now it's just, the kid just, does his own thing. Yeah. Uh, we'd also say that rash and foolish decisions um, can result in long-term consequences. So, for example, in Esther chapter 1, it tells us that the king of Persia ordered his wife to dance. Vashti. That's her name. Vashti. Vashti. Yeah. yeah. Um, he, he ordered her to dance before his guests. And most likely there she was to dance in a sort of suggestive or filthy way. And if you know the story, you know that she refused to do that. And so the scriptures state that as a result, the king's anger burned and he had his wife put away from him forever. So he made a, a rash decision there. Yeah, um, with a massive consequence yeah, for him and her. Right, exactly. Um, Matthew chapter 2 also tells us about how Herod had wanted the Magi to come to him. Um, to tell him where Jesus was. And when they didn't return, um, we see there that he, he flies into a rage and has all the male children under the age of two in Bethlehem slaughtered. Yeah, so the point is just simply, when you're making a hasty, rash decision, it's almost never going to be the best decision. Um, so another command, this is the second command. So we already talked about don't provoke them to anger. The second one is very much like it in Colossians 3.21, do not exasperate your child. So he says, fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Now that word uh, means to rouse to jealousy and bitterness. And so we can apply the same things that we just did about provoking your child anger. They also apply here. So just understand that reality, that when you provoke them or exasperate your child, bad fruit comes, bad fruit long-term. And it's not a one-time event. where It's this idea of this is a consistent thing that you're exasperating and provoking your children. But notice the reason given by Paul. And it's actually, for me, it's a heartbreaking one. It's so they will not lose heart. Um, There is very few things that are more sad than to see a child as he gets older just give up. And you see it. You see it all the time. They can't win. They're never right. They're always second best. They're always 
something. And it's like, oh, Father. Mm-hmm. <laughs> can, oh, my gosh. Can you imagine living under the hand of God if that was what you thought? What a miserable place. A, a, a legalistic, hypocritical house is a very hard place to live in. Uh, the same is true for an ever-changing home where nothing is ever stable or consistent, where you have rules on Monday but because you're in a good mood on Tuesday, they're new rules. And then on Wednesday, they're stricter rules. Right. And, and it's just like, give that poor kid some consistency. So again, this idea of exasperation is caused by the set, very same things we listed in relationship to anger. They attack the very heart of the child. That's the point that you're you're breaking a child's heart. Um, you're destroying it. And it's the very thing you're supposed to be shepherding but instead you destroy. So yeah. it, it, keep those in mind. How, how am I exasperating or provoking my children toward anger? So what we just described here is nothing hard to understand in reality, nor is it some esoteric knowledge that befuddles the average person. It's very simple and very basic, but it's also very important. It does not matter if you are a parent or a single, or a grandparent. These are things you should incorporate into your life. But for people like grandparents, these are things you can love so that you can be a support to your children as they grow as parents themselves. Don't be that grandparent who constantly tears down what your children are properly doing as parents. But also, be a grandparent that maybe can come along to your, parents, your kids as their parents and just say, hey, um, buddy, can I talk to you about how you talk to your son there? And, and you, it might even be admitting guilt, right? It might be me saying to my, my son, I know I struggled in that and I know I failed a lot, but you know how much that produced frustration and anger in your life. Son, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't be like, I mean, there, you're, you're not maybe able to give great counsel on because, hey, I wasn't that way, but, but to come alongside as you see those things, but in kindness and with great respect because it's not your home, um, uh, Older people in the church can offer so much encouragement to the younger ones uh, by being a cheerleader to them as they work out all of those intricacies of parenting. Um, you don't just sit there and glare down your nose at the kids or this or that. You you encourage the, the young parents of your church. Humility and a long view of life are both very important to parenting. Each parent has to practice both of those. Short-term gains will seldom produce a harvest that we really desire in our children. But above all, a desire to honor the Lord in this massive part of your life is critical. It's owning the words of Paul in Ephesians 4.1, where he entreats us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called. We're not done on the subject. There are many other things that you should not be doing as a parent, but we, th- we think that these will keep you busy repenting and reorienting for the time being. And so we'll pick up uh, with more things in the next episode. But until next time, make sure to tune in join the conversation. And if you have any questions on the subject of parenting, simply drop us a note. But until the next time, make sure to tune in, join the conversation. If you have a question on the subject, uh, let us know. But don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, review on iTunes, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and tell a friend. (music) 